chapter one. There's sometimes when, as I'm getting ready to preach, it seems like um, the Lord is like what you're saying, maybe taking something and setting it right on the T for me to hit. And that doesn't <laughs> fortunately necessarily mean we always hit it out of the park, but uh, I'm quite convinced that our text for this evening is really calling simpletons to repent. And uh, as I thought about Paul's instructions to Timothy to continue in the things in which he had learned and the scriptures, which as a young boy had made him wise unto salvation, wise, wise unto salvation. Uh, I believe there's, there's even the gospel in the book of Proverbs, and I trust you'll see that tonight. Someone has said that when God says today, the devil says tomorrow. Our text in Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 20, really reflects the spirit of Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6, that says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. There's repentance. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And why is it that the wicked man, really all of us, have to abandon our own thoughts for God's thoughts? Isaiah goes on. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Naturally, we have very low and foolish thoughts, sinful thoughts, don't we? And this invitation to turn from your wicked way and the unrighteous man is thoughts and think God's thoughts after him is a call to repentance, is a call to think God's words after him, is a call to fear the Lord. We really have to forsake our sin today. There's an urgency. Seek God while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And if we do, we'll have pardon and security in life and in death. In our text for this evening, uh, there's kind of this really dramatic thing that Lady Wisdom does. We're introduced to a character in the book of Proverbs that many call Lady Wisdom. Wisdom personified as a woman. And she's maybe not the kind of quiet, tact lady that we would expect. And context really is everything. Uh, she's out in the streets. She's calling for people. She's beckoning them to listen. And really the difference between her and another lady that we'll encounter in Proverbs is what she's teaching and what she's doing. She's counseling the fear of the Lord. Uh, and you see, in, starting in verse 20, kind of the setting here. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street or the head of the concourse, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings, and then we're introduced to her sayings in the rest of the text. And who she's speaking to in verse 22, how long, O oh, naive ones or simple ones? And this is really connected, closely connected in the book of Proverbs with the idea of folly. Oh, how long, oh, simple ones, will you love being simple-minded? And he's not directly addressing, she's not directly addressing scoffers here. She's referring to them in the third person. But she kind of lumps them in because they share quality, something that they love, 
How long will scoffers delight themselves in scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. And then she's turning directly to them, encouraging them to do something. Turn to my reproof. There's that word, turn. Most often in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, that exact same word is referring to changing your course of life. Turn your foot from sin to God. Turn to my reproof. That is the sense here. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. She's talking to the simple one. She's telling them what to do. Then she's describing what will happen if they don't. And then this really dramatic thing, even in the way that the poetry is set up, it's as though she has very literally turned her back on this person and she's not even talking about them anymore. Notice the change in the pronouns here in verse 28. She's talking to her student now. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. And it's kind of this dramatic literary way of showing that she's not even paying attention to them anymore. This person that I was talking to, it's too late. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. And this is really the key. Because they hated knowledge. We already saw that one. But what's the, what's the crux of the matter here? And did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they will eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated on their own, with their own devices. And this was the trap that was laid for them. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. And her lesson for her student, but he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. So she begins and ends with a call to hear. How long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And she ends with this repeated call to her student. Really, the, this is Solomon through the voice of Lady Wisdom appealing to his son, you could say, are you going to listen to me? He who listens to me will live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. She brackets this with an invitation and a principle in verse 23. Turn to my reproof. And the principle in verse 33 is that you will have security if you do. And that word reproof occurs several times. Verse 23, verse 25, you have neglected my counsel, did not want my reproof. This is what she's talking about. You need to listen to the reproofs of wisdom. Verse 30, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. What do you do when wisdom runs cross to your way of life? When someone comes in and says, this is not right, how do you respond to that? Turn ahead if you would, and we'll get to this maybe a little bit more fully later. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see this. So I think this is a very important cross-reference for us to have in our minds. Paul is writing to Timothy in his second letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, talking about how difficult the last days will be because of the kinds of people that, how full of vice they will be. And he's exhorting Timothy to avoid all of that, continue in the things you've learned, 
Don't be like that. Avoid these people. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. You, Timothy, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, including the book of Proverbs, which are able to give you the wisdom, or literally to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This isn't an alternate way to be saved. It's, of course, by grace through faith. But it's as the scriptures, God is using the scriptures to open someone's eyes and make them wise unto salvation through faith in Christ. And what is scripture good for, for salvation and for Timothy now as a pastor? You know these verses. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That word reproof, that's what Solomon is talking about. What do you do, and I think we could say based on this, what do you do when the word of God comes in and says, this in your life is wrong and it needs to change? Do you heed it and submit to it and amend your ways? Do you repent of sin? That's what I'm asking. When God shows you that you need to sin or... Are you in the case of this other group? Do you love your simple-mindedness? Do you hate knowledge? What do we mean hate knowledge? Of course I like knowledge. Do you hate knowledge of your sinful condition? When someone says, this way of thinking, this way of speaking, this way of living is wrong, do you resist that? It's like, it's like you would rather not even hear about it. What is your attitude toward the reproof of wisdom? That's what Solomon is confronting his son with here. And back to Proverbs chapter 1. Someone summarized this section this way. There is no second chance for fools. When wisdom called to them, they refused to listen. And Lord willing, in our time that we have, we'll see why that is. They refuse to listen to wisdom. So when they call to wisdom out of their trouble, she refuses to hear them. The only way to secure the blessing of God is to turn from your own ways and to heed wisdom with your whole heart. Wisdom really is making a demand that you hear her. There's no alternative to listening to wisdom. And I really do believe this is, there, there's a gospel here. I've called this title my sermon, The Gospel Call of Wisdom. Or I'm just thinking you could maybe even say it's the gospel according to Solomon. Maybe there are more full expressions of that in the wisdom books. But this is Solomon's call to put your faith in Christ as the solution to your sin. Turn from your sin and fear Yahweh. That is true godliness. So we'll see the setting and then the, the sayings of wisdom and see how she's really appealing to, to all the parts of a person, to the mind, to the will, to the emotions. She's really going to the heart of the issue, appealing to the heart of the person. And will you hear the reproofs of wisdom against your sin? So first notice her sayings, they're, they're in public. She's really dealing in the everyday stuff of life. She's shouting in the street. She's lifting her voice in the square. She's in the concourse. She's at the gates of the city. There's commerce here. This really reeks of business and daily life and 
uh, judicial rulings and decisions by the elders. This is where wisdom traffics her wares. So as the book of Proverbs starts, it maybe starts in the classroom, in the home, with a father to a son, making a very personal appeal. But now this is very loud and public, and it has to do with everything in your life. It's not hidden. It's not secret. Like, it's only available to the academics. Wisdom really expects to be heard. God, you could say, wants people to hear his wisdom. He's not just trying to hide it away. I think this does speak to the availability of wisdom, certainly as people are preaching the word, as Christians are walking around and living it. I think there's wisdom available just by the light of nature. There's wisdom available through conscience, not that we are some source of wisdom ourselves, but there are just things about God's creation that are built in and everywhere around us, and we can ignore them. How about the wisdom of the natural order of a male and a female? What does it look like when a society ignores that, okay? This is what I'm talking about. There are just things built in that when you observe them, you realize that God is a wise creator, and it's everywhere to be found. And she's expecting to be heard. And she really understands human nature. Notice in verse 22 how she targets the desires of the simple. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple? They like it. I referenced this in Christian Life Hour this morning, if you were up here. Uh, the, the light came into the world, and the world did not receive it. The darkness rejected the light because the darkness loves the darkness. They hate the light. They don't want the light to come on. This is, this is the sense in which wisdom is talking about hating knowledge. This is the knowledge that sheds light on their condition. They love their simplicity. Scoffers, notice this word, delight in scoffing. Not only that they... They like their current way of life, but they prefer it over other things. This is a value judgment that they're making. They're hating knowledge. And you get a sense here. This isn't, this isn't moral innocence, the naive, the foolish, the, the, the simple. It's not moral innocence. It's actually more like moral negligence, moral indifference. That's the simple. That's who she's talking about. Who might this be? I think you could actually put Joseph's brothers when they were teenagers in this category. Joseph's 17, when his father sends him to find his brothers. Remember, there's four moms in this picture, so there's not necessarily nine months in between them all. They're probably all real close. They're probably like 17 to 22. Uh, Reuben's probably just a few years older than Joseph as the oldest son. They're young men. Some, Many of them teenagers as we define that. They don't fear God. Joseph's coming out to them. They're not weighing their actions before God. They're not taking the covenant of God with their father that's going to be passed down to them. They're not taking that seriously. They're not thinking of the consequences of shipping their brother away and cutting him off from the promises of God. They're not thinking in a spiritual way. They're blinded by their sin, by their anger. Actually, anyone who enters their lives to tell them the truth about themselves or about God's plan, they reject that. Do you remember when Jacob comes after his sons about slaughtering the whole city of Shechem and they don't even want to hear it? And Joseph tells them these dreams about God's basically going to put me in charge of the family and they don't want to listen to it. They hate knowledge. They 
They don't really think about God's evaluation of their actions. And the point is, they don't want to. They prefer their kind of ambivalence about, you know, following God or doing our own things. And I think the closest that they come to turning from that is actually Judah. Remember in chapter 38, after they deceive their father, Judah goes out and he's trying to make a name for himself and God kind of catches him up short. And Judah really, there's a great demonstration of change in him the rest of the book. But he still doesn't turn from this sin of just unconscionably deceiving his father. I think you could call these men simple. Not that they are completely naive. They had a lot of responsibility. They had a lot of sin in them. They were morally negligent. And you see that there's a history here between wisdom and these people. What does she say? What are her first words? How long? She knows that they've resisted her for a while. Maybe they heard wisdom at home and they didn't want it. And now they're out on their own and they're still resisting it. How long is it going to keep up? There's a time element to this, to this relationship with wisdom. There's a history of rejection. And right now they're making a personal moral choice to reject wisdom because of what they love. I heard someone say recently, what you love it's really going to determine your moral choices. You don't, you don't do what you do so much of because of what you know, but because of what you want. Have you ever heard someone say, you do what you want as a, an explanation for why you did the things that you did? Have you ever known what to do and you did something, uh, known the right thing to do and you did something else? It's because you're, you're operating out of your desires. And that's really what uh, wisdom is targeting here. How long will you love your current state? What does she tell them to do? Turn to my reproof. This is rebuke, a correct, a correcting of their current way of life for their good. They need to make a choice. And what is the choice? They need to fear the Lord. They need to decisively turn from their sin and worship God, but they won't. They don't, they don't want to give up. They want to they walk in the path that the father has just counseled the son about in verses 8 through 19. They, they kind of want to walk down this road. And she's saying, how long are you going to resist? And her promise is, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. I don't believe this is necessarily a direct reference to the, you know, the outpouring of the spirit like we saw in Pentecost. But we did see that scripture works this way. Uh, as a way to true wisdom, being made wise unto salvation, which of course is attached to the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Paul does pray for God giving the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 1, a spirit of wisdom in the, in the knowledge of Jesus. This would be the kind of understanding of the words of wisdom that they wouldn't lose, that she's assuring them of. But the only way to have all of the blessings of that is to turn from sin to have wisdom alone. Hey, wisdom is putting your finger on double-mindedness. God will not give you wisdom if you're being double-minded. That's the way that James talks about it. It's not, okay, I kind of want my, my own help, and I'm going to lean on my own understanding, but I also kind of want God's help. No, you need, you need to have God alone, not God and your sin. Turning from sin is 
is the gate pass for wisdom. It's the passcode to get into the neighborhood. You can't even get in without turning from your sin. And then she gives an assurance, kind of on the level of their will, you could say. She's describing what's going to happen because they're continuing in their state. Because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. You neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. She's just kind of putting it right to him. If you're going to keep doing that, this is what is going to happen. Just so you know, you are making a choice. And do you notice what she does? She's calling them. She's inviting them. She's counseling them. She's giving them reproof. The idea of counsel is she's giving them a plan. This is a plan to avert disaster for your life. This isn't counsel of, I'm trying to listen to all these different kinds of counsel and I'm going to pick the best one. This is, you have, we call it the plan of salvation, don't we? This is the plan, you could say, of salvation. This is how not to ruin your life. And they're not listening to it. It's not like it's optional. There's the counsel of Ahithophel and Hushai. And remember, Absalom chose eventually the counsel of Hushai. He thought it was better than the counsel of Ahithophel. He was kind of choosing between options. There's that kind of counsel. And then there's the counsel of the Lord. He made a plan from eternity. And has that ever been decided against? No. This is That's the kind of counsel that she's talking about. There's, there's a plan that you really, it's not optional. It's not like, here's good ideas for a better life. This is the idea to live. And she's calling them to that. She's inviting them to that. This is persuasion. And what are they doing? They're refusing. They're not paying attention to it. They're neglecting it. They don't want it. They are not willing to submit to her offer and turn from their sin. They're disregarding her words. And someone said, it is their fault, not their fate. It's not that this was predetermined. It's that they kept choosing it. She says she's going to laugh. Is that cruel? Well, if you look at Psalm 2, it's actually the exact same words as what God says he will do to all the kings and nations who try to throw off his power. He's going to sit in heaven and laugh. He's going to mock at them. It's the exact same words. I think it's with good reason that people wrestle with this question of, is, is Jesus wisdom incarnate? And I think there are some challenges with that. I think it's something we'll have to wrestle through every time. But she is making an explicit call to submit to her wisdom. And that really is equated with submitting to the Lord. So this is the, the derision of God against his enemies here. That's the choice that they're making. They're, they're hardening themselves as God's enemy as they're refusing to listen to correctives against their sin. And what's going to happen? I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. And look at that word in the next couple of verses. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind and distress and anguish come upon you. It's not like it's not going to happen. It is going to happen. It's certain and it will be final because 
Then now she's turned her back on them. They will call on me and I'm not going to listen. I called and they didn't listen. And now they're going to call and I'm not going to listen. This is really retributive justice. It's one for one. You're eating the fruit of your own ways. And that's what she says at the end. They will eat of the fruit of their own way. And they will be satiated with their own devices. It's pure justice. And it's in, in these terms of a storm, like a, like a hurricane or a, a tornado. It's coming upon you and it's not pretty. And she says, I will scoff at you when this disaster that you deserve comes upon you. And there's really just this, it really kind of turns, the whole section turns at verse 28. This timing is really vivid, even in the poetry. Wisdom leaves as the consequences come. So all of a sudden, they have this great desire to find a way out, and they're crying for wisdom. Maybe they're praying to God. Maybe they're uh, trying to go back and retrace their steps, and they have, they're full of regret. They're really urgent here in verse 28. They will call on me. They will seek me diligently. And we're going to read in chapter 2 about a, a diligent search for wisdom. But what wisdom is saying before she gets to that diligent search is there's a time limit. Time is ticking. Respond now. She's warning them. She's calling them. She's really addressing them about their refusal. And then she turns from them back to the audience who still has hope. She's kind of pointing at them as the object lesson. Because the time of hope is now, not later. So as she has her back on these simple ones, she's making an object lesson and kind of reasoning now. It's on the, on the level of their understanding with her student saying, They'll call on me, I won't answer. They will seek me diligently. They won't find me because they hated knowledge. When people tell you the truth in your heart before the Lord, what is your response to it? Do you hate it? It's a dangerous place to be. And she connects these. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's the path that each person is responsible to choose. It's after the consequences come that the simpleton seeks a way out. But wisdom isn't listening. And she really makes it very personal. It's not that they've rejected some body of uh, impersonal teaching or counsel or just good ideas about life. They've actually rejected the Lord. Did you notice that? They've rejected Lady Wisdom, but they've actually rejected the Lord. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's, that's an entrance into a relationship with God of fear and worship and honor and obedience. They chose against that. They chose against God when they chose against wisdom. Submission to, God, to wisdom, someone said, is equated with submission to God. I think it's very clear that these people, they're not victims. They're perpetrators. See the difference? They didn't want to hear about their need for a savior. They didn't want to hear about their need to repent of sin. 
The idea that someone was willing to forgive them wasn't really good news because they didn't want to repent of anything. And it's pretty clear that humility to receive instruction, that is a much kinder teacher than regret, isn't it? Think of the people of Israel and Judah in the time of the prophets when men like Isaiah and Jeremiah are preaching to them saying, repent, 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 repent. That's all over the prophets. And what was Israel famous for towards the prophets? Persecuting the prophets. What is that? They hated knowledge. They hated knowledge of their sinful condition. They loved their idols, actually. They chose against the fear of the Lord. That's exactly what that is. And do you think it was right that God said that they were a foolish people, that they had turned their back on wisdom? God told them when he gave them the law, this law is your wisdom before the nations. As you observe it, the people will be drawn to this wisdom. But as they turn their back on it, they just became the most insane kind of society. Cain, God said, watch out, Cain. Sin's crouching at the door. You need to, you need to flee from it. Lest it have mastery over you. And did he? Until it was too late. He didn't listen. Even the people, when they came out of Egypt and they were about to go into the promised land and Moses said, okay, send people into the promised land or okay, we, we, we can send spies into the promised land. And they came back and they said, it's too big for us. And Moses is like, you literally just walked through the Red Sea. What's the big deal? Let's go in. And they say, no, we're not going in. And God says, I'm going to destroy them. Moses pleads for their lives. And God says, okay, 40 years in the wilderness. Oh, and the consequences come and they change their mind and they seek diligently to overturn it and they end up paying the price for it, right? Regret is a harsh teacher. And Lady Wisdom is pointing to these examples and saying, will you listen? Will you fear God? Will you accept instruction and reproof? And sometimes the problem is that these people feel like nothing is wrong. They wouldn't accept my counsel. They spurned my reproof. Here's the eye for an eye principle. They shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated on their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. They feel secure. And no manner of pleading is going to make them feel insecure in their sin. They think of Jehoiakim and probably Zedekiah to a degree. Jehoiakim, Jeremiah chapter 22, you don't need to turn there, is one of the last kings of the southern kingdom of Judah that Jeremiah is preaching to, saying, turn from your sin. He's the one who cut up the scroll of God. Jeremiah twenty-two twenty-one. God is saying, I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your practice from your youth that you have not obeyed my voice. Prosperity came and it's like, well, everything's good. Like, why would I need to turn from any sin? I feel secure. And that ended up being the, the trap that he stepped into that ended up being his demise. Even though, go figure, there's an army standing outside the gates. You'd think that would have a way of rattling, but it didn't. He despised the call to repent. 
But what does Lady Wisdom say at the end? But he who listens to me shall live securely. This is quite a contrast. Not only will he just live, he'll actually live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Have you ever seen these things? Mark safe from this sense, this. Mark safe from the dread of evil, sense, this. Of course, the Jew who heeded wisdom had the promise of the law that he would dwell securely in the land. But there's more for us than security in a land. There's security for your soul in eternity. Remember, wisdom, the wisdom of the word can make you wise unto salvation. What kind of security is that, that you have an anchor for your soul in eternity? God rebukes your sin in his word, and he opens your eyes to understand the word. That really is the true fear of God, to trust Christ to rescue you from sin. I believe Solomon is issuing a call to repent, turn from sin and fear Yahweh. So why these two lessons? Well, if lesson number one is you can't sin and win, don't, don't try to get ahead at other people's expense. Sin's never going to pay. Lesson number two, you could say is you can't ignore wisdom and prosper either. Turn from sin at wisdom's first rebuke. There's, there's an immediacy to this to what, what Lady Wisdom is counseling. Be teachable. Don't be like the stubborn donkey that needs beat and beat and beat. Be teachable if you will be wise. There is no blessing. There is no security. There is no certainty for the future apart from heeding the words of God. Now I'll close with this. Think of the people in Noah's day. Didn't Noah have the most wisdom of any man on earth? He had the most insight about the future, certainly. He had this huge, you know, science fair project, the biggest one the world ever has seen, right? He had the biggest lifeboat that has ever existed. And that is a witness in itself. No doubt he himself was telling people about it. He preached repentance. But what 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 did those people what was their heart? They hated knowledge. God's going to judge the world. It's going to be a flood. I've never seen that. And maybe that was a rational explanation. But really, at the heart of it, the Bible says that's hating knowledge. They couldn't conceive of the disaster that was coming. They were eating, drinking. They were getting married. What was that? They were secure. They were complacent in their sin. And their security and their complacency was their downfall. They could not be shaken enough to listen to Noah. And what happened? It was just Noah and his family. That was it. They would not listen to the rebukes of their sin. And so they ended up eating the fruit of their own way. They were satiated with their own devices. But Noah... Because he believed God. He lived securely. He believed God and he lived obediently. <laughs> and his obedience became his security, you could almost say. Obeying and building that boat ended up saving his life. He was at ease from the dread of evil. And he saw great devastation around him. But that is true wisdom. 
heeding the call to turn from sin. Will you do that? Christ beckons all men to respond to him for salvation today. But for his children, fearing the Lord defines the rest of your, of, of your life. Don't stop responding to the tender voice of God, calling you away from sin back to yourself. This is the voice of wisdom. Don't, don't linger in your simplicity. Don't linger in your double-mindedness. Turn from your sin. Fear the Lord. This is the way to secure the blessings of God. With everything that you have, your mind, your will, your emotions, and we're complex, aren't we? We have, we have thoughts, we have feelings, we, have, we make choices, we have values. We really need to bring these under subjection to the word of wisdom, the word which will make us wise unto salvation, the word that will correct us and reprove us and lead us in instruction and righteousness, because that will mature us. It's sufficient for these things, to equip the man of God for everything that he needs. May the Lord help us to be tender and heed his word. Let's pray. God, thank you that you give us such clear warnings, but also such clear assurances. Your way is the only way. Help us to heed it. Help us to walk in the fear of you and to turn from sin. Keep us from the evil one, Lord. If there's any of us that thinks we stand, help us to take heed so that we don't fall in our, in our pride in our self-sufficiency, Lord Jesus, we need you to watch over us. Keep us humble. Help us to be teachable, we pray it in Christ's name.